What time is it? What time is it? There's no time like island time. Nobody is ahead, nobody's behind. Everything's fine on island time. And you'll be living on island time. Caribbean breezes blow through my mind. With sand meets sea, that's where you'll find me. Oh, just living on island time. I'm living on island time I may be late, but you know I'm trying To make the best of an uphill climb There's just so much I can do to make it through I'm living on island time Being late back is my only crime Trying to find a little peace of mind Living on island Alrighty, here we are from the campus of Baldwin-Wallace University on the north coast of Ohio, the north coast of America, right here in Berea, Ohio. DK, Dennis King on duty. It is trap rock music, and tonight, surf music on the radio, as we have a very special show planned tonight. It is June 20th, which means Brian Wilson, not only is it is his birthday today, but it's his big 8-0, the 80th birthday for Brian Wilson, as Paul McCartney just had his 80th two days ago, it's amazing to me that those two were born so close to each other, but and on, other, on the other side of the planet. That's right. But anyway, happy birthday, Brian. We're going to celebrate tonight with a Beach Boys slash surf music summer special. Fred Vale, who was the manager and promoter of the band for many years in the early years, and then he came back with a second stint around 1969, 1970, he is going to join us on the phone, and you're going to hear some really amazing stories about America's band, the Beach Boys. We have not had Fred on the show in many years. We're welcoming, welcome, I can't speak, welcoming him back tonight. That's right. All right, let's get this thing kicked off. Let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. Come on a safari with me. Come on a 
surfing now Everybody's learning how Come on a safari with me
Trump rocker Sonny Jim White from the Tropical album. Going back a few years there, not too many though. I dreamed I was a Beach Boy too from Sonny Jim White. And we also had There's No Surf in Cleveland from the Euclid Beach Band. 
and it's become an anthem. It came out in 1978, and you can hear it every summer on the North Coast, and uh, we keep the tradition alive here on Island Time, of course. Very sad news, though, about the Euclid Beach Band. John Hart uh, was the lead singer on, I think, all the tracks on the one album they did have except one, and he was a great singer. He sang lead on There's No Surf in Cleveland. He just passed away a couple days ago. So sad to hear that. Uh, Great, great uh, vocalist. And uh, Rich Rising, who was also in the band, he has since moved to Nashville, and I see him on Facebook a lot. He is uh, still going, of course, still does music when he can. And um, anyway, great, great song. We started it off with the Beach Boys' Surf and Safari 1962. This is going to be a fun show. I got all kinds of of uh, things up my sleeve, if you will. <laughs> we got a very special guest, Fred Vale, is going to be joining us. Fred Vale was the manager of the Beach Boys promoter in the early years. He's got great stories. He knew all the band members intimately. You know, he knew them like they were family, let's put it that way, back in the day. And uh, he saw it when it all was starting. And uh, he's an incredible storyteller. Once Fred starts talking, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'm just going to sit back and listen. Because the stories are going to start rolling. And uh, later on, like I said, we'll do those giveaways and lots of Beach Boy music, Beach Boy-related music. We've got some Trop Rockers like we just had there with Sonny Jim White. And it's all heading your way tonight on Island Time. Very special show tonight. Happy birthday, Brian Wilson. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Sounds fine. Tennessee Way. You're in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm in Nashville. I'm south in Franklin, about 20 miles south of Nashville. I started coming here in 69-70 when I was running the Beach Boy Brother Records label and moved here in 74 and uh, was in Brentwood initially in Nashville uh, Metro initially, then I moved to Franklin in 04. So yeah, uh, I'm almost a southerner without the accent. I'm almost a local. I think there are more people moving here from out of state and actually out of the country than there are uh, local Nashvilleians, so... Hey, Fred. It's growing like uh, a wildfire. Here it comes. I think I got it. Great. From Lawford, California, to entertain you tonight with a gala concert and a recording session, the fabulous Beach Boys. Now, as you know, Fred, that was side one of the Beach Boys concert album. It was their very first number one album, and that is your voice introducing the band in 1964. Yep, 63, December 61st, 1963. It happened to be Carl's 17th birthday, believe it or not. Wow. Great night, great stories involving that concert. Uh, One of my fondest memories, one of the proudest moments. Uh, My 23-year-old daughter, Taylor, and my uh, wife of 26 years, Debbie, are my proudest moments. But next to that, it's hard to beat my association and friendship and love with the great Beach Boys. Now, that was 1963, and if you listen to that album at all, you hear those girls screaming like crazy for the guys. And that, oh, was, yeah. that was well before the Beatles came along. So the, they were screaming for the Beach Boys before they were screaming for the Beatles. <laughs> they were. Yep, they were. Did that surprise you at all when that happened? Well, I mean, back then when we did that concert and the previous uh, concerts, ironically, um, they owned Sacramento, the Beach Boys did. I I had booked them May 24th of that year, 63, 
uh, a fundraiser for my alma mater, El Camino High School. Um, great night. The boys were in the beginnings of their game. I mean, they were in the midst of the success of Surfing USA and the Surfing USA album. Uh, ironically, the timing was perfect. Uh, tickets were about seventy-five advanced at two at the door. Believe it or not, wow. the previous week—that was on Friday, May twenty-fourth—that I did the first show. The previous week, uh, Surfing USA, uh, which was their third single, had peaked at number one at both Sacramento top forty stations, KXOA and KROI. So the timing was great. Um, about three thousand people there, not quite sold out. However. Um, a big crowd by 1963 standards. Sure. It was their first headlining concert uh, in a major venue. Um, and, and we were kids. I mean, they were all young, you know, and uh, uh, they had never headlined a show before, uh, not of that degree. They'd been opening for Ike and Tina Turner at the time. Uh, they'd been opening for uh, uh, Jan and Dean, believe it or not. Uh, a little inside information here, you know, we've got inflation going on right now, so hard to tell, yeah. you know, what this would have related to in 1963. But if the Beach Boys could drive to a gig in 1963, Carl got out of school at 3 o'clock, he was in high school, if they lived in Hawthorne, Dennis, Carl, Brian were still living at home, with Mom and Dad, Marie and Audrey. If they could drive to the gig, so if they could drive to Santa Barbara or Santa Maria or San Diego, or Palmdale, or Lancaster, or Palm Springs, if they could drive to the gig, you could buy the Beach Boys. You could buy the Beach Boys for 400 to $500 a night. The group <laughs> that would go on to become America's band, that would become icons. That is you could right. actually buy them for less than the cost of two meet and greets at a Brian Wilson Al Jardine <laughs> concert. These days, yes. We know that all too well. That's right. Oh, yeah. What yeah. what stage of their career, I mean, how far into it were they when you got involved? And you were like a kid. You were like 14, yeah, right? I was 19. Yeah, 19 I was years old, okay. I'm I thinking of Carl. I was 19 when the show came off. 19, okay. Um, yeah, 19. Um, I was going to Sacramento State uh, during the day. I was a pre-med student about to change my major to journalism and broadcasting. Uh, I was working as an afternoon, evening uh, DJ at a easy listening station, KJML FM, and they would. I would play an, at eight o'clock each night. I would play a Broadway album front to back: Oklahoma, Sound of Music, West Side Story, which was out currently. It was a big hit then. Wow. Uh, I would play the first side front to back, vinyl, you know, like an album, and then uh, I'd give at after the first side was completed, I'd give the news or time and temperature or a commercial or whatever, and then I'd flip it over and play the B-side front to back. And it was during those 14 to 17-minute segments that I would cram for my exam the next morning at Sac State. So, um, <laughs> and I was making a buck fifty-one for $2 an hour, by the way. Wow. Um, but I was on the air. I was in radio. Hey, I was, you know, I was going after my hero, Dick Clark, you know. Right. <laughs> It was just—it was a great time to be to be alive and, and to be going through all the great music of that era. Now, but the but they had had a hit or two by the time you came along. Right? Uh, no, they uh, they had signed with Candex Records, a little mom and pop label. Right. Uh, they had uh, Surfing had come out uh, back with Luau. It sold 
about 40,000 pieces. It went to 75 on the national charts. It did well uh, better than that in certain locales. You know, along the West Coast, Seattle was always a big market for them. Portland, Sacramento, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego were all great markets, you know, for the Beach Boys back then. But nationally, it went to 75, sold about 40,000 copies. Uh, the label, Candex, basically went under, couldn't afford to put a follow-up single out. So Murray started taking uh, tapes around of some newer material, uh, got turned down at Dot Records, uh, the label that Pat Boone and Billy Bond and Debbie Reynolds and Jimmy Rogers were on. Right. Got turned down there. I uh, went to Capitol, uh, met a guy um, named Ken Nelson, who was actually the head of country A&R. Ken became a lifelong friend of mine. He's one of my heroes, one of my mentors. I saw him uh, about a year before he passed away. He lived well into his 90s. And Ken was the head of country A&R, but it was the only guy at Capitol that Murray Wilson, the Beach Boy dad, knew. So Murray met and went, met with Ken, and, and he, Ken promised to take it up to Nick Benet, the head of the pop department. And he was unsuccessful in getting Nick to listen to it, and Murray kept calling him and, you know, how's it? You know, how are you doing? Have you submitted it to Nick yet? What does he think? And after a couple of uh, weeks, uh, you know, Murray kind of lost his cool and came unglued. And, and Ken, you know, said, listen, I'll take care of it, you know, and give me one more chance. So he finally got it to uh, to Nick uh, Vinay, and he basically told Nick, listen, Murray Wilson is on my case. You've got to listen to the, his sons. You've got to listen to this, uh, this demo. And, uh, you know, tell me what you think of it so I can give Murray an answer and he can get off my back. <laughs> so uh, Nick heard it, signed the boys, uh, Surf and Safari album came out. Uh, you know, the, the first single, uh, Surf and Safari, went to 13, a little bit better. Um, and then Surf and USA came out, and, of course, that was the, uh, the breaker. You know, that was the one that kicked them off. Uh, the song Surf and USA... Uh, went to number three on the national charts, and that really launched the guys, you know, as a national favorite. And then they went international from there. But yeah, it was a it was a great time. Uh, you know, I mean, back in those days, uh, Dennis, I would literally pick the guys up at the airport in my folks' 1954 wagon. There were no roadies, there were no 18 wheelers. We load all the gear: Denny's drums, couple of guitar amps, wow. uh, a Jag, uh, Strat. Uh, a bass. Mike had a saxophone that he actually played on one or two numbers. That right. was about it. Right. And we'd, uh, you know, two guys would join me in the front seat, and we'd hit the road and we'd go to the gig. You know, and and uh, you know, it, it was just a, a fascinating time. And and they, they were all young. They were all healthy, which is a key word here. And they were all filled with that youthful optimism right. and living for the moment and, and just loving to entertain the kids and. Uh, you know, it was just it, it just it started from there and took off from there. It seemed like a great time to be alive and a great place to be, and I think it really was. It's not. I don't think no, it's just it a was. fantasy. <laughs> yeah, no question. Now, no question. now Murray was kind of the the boss, the manager in those very early right. years, but you were considered right. the manager also. So what? So what was your role like? You only handled well, like my concerts role and initially uh, that first concert I had bought them for seven hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, if they could drive to the gig, they worked for four or five hundred. But you got to remember, Carl didn't get out of school till three o'clock. Sacramento was four hundred fifty, five hundred miles away. They couldn't drive there, obviously. So I paid them uh, seven hundred and fifty flat, 
which included six round-trip airline tickets to five guys in Murray. And uh, out of that came the William Morris Commission. Out of that came a couple of hotel rooms. They used to double-triple up in those days. Uh, out of that came the six round-trip airline tickets that were about 60 bucks a piece. So after the concert, which incidentally was mostly cover songs, yeah, um, right. you know, they would do uh, Del Shannon's Runaway. I would sing that. Danny would do uh, Dion DeMucci's The Wanderer. Um, Vic Dale's Let's Go Trippin' Carl would play that and Miserloo. And, uh, you know, Mike would do Monster Mash. And, I mean, it was mostly cover songs. The Four Freshmen, Graduation Day, which was Brian's inspiration. The Four Freshmen and the Hilos were the group that Brian kind of modeled the Beach Boys after. Yes. Just that he, he took it to rock music. It wasn't middle-of-the-road easy listening music. It was, it was rock music. Like Sweet Little Sixteen was a Chuck Berry song. Brian put new lyrics to it. He came out surfing USA. So, I mean, it was... It was all, you know, it was early Beach Boys, a lot of cover songs. Uh, so we get together, we do the show, we go back to the Mansion Inn Hotel, uh, you know, we're sitting at a table, uh, having meal, burgers and fries and milkshakes and Cokes and stuff, and Carl asked, you know, asked Murray, Bob, how much should we make tonight? And, and Murray said, well, Mr. Vale, he called me Mr. Vale, I was 19 years old. <laughs> he said, Mr. Vale paid us $750, but we've got the William Morris commission we got the six round trip airline tickets we got the two rooms at the mansion inn we got breakfast in the morning dinner tonight he said i think you're going to make about um 50 to 60 bucks a piece each beach boy will make 50 to 60 dollars in that and carl looks over at me and he said fred how'd you and the class do and i said well the class made four thousand dollars my take was 15 percent of the net i got 600 and all hmm. of a sudden murray and and Mike and, and Carl and Dennis and Al are looking at me like, Fred, you made 10 times what we made <laughs> each, you know. And I said, yeah, and there's going to be a lot of promoters that are going to clean out with you guys. And uh, so Murray said, well, you know, do you have any ideas? And I, I, it, just, it just came out of me. It was just an automatic. I said, Murray, you guys need to start doing your own concerts. You know, I, I, I don't worry about L.A., New York, Chicago, Miami. You know, don't worry about Philadelphia. Go to the secondary markets, go to Vegas, go to Sacramento, go to Reno, Nevada, go to Boise, Idaho. You know, uh, go to markets that are overlooked by the major artists, that the kids are starved for entertainment. Yeah. Uh, rent a hall, uh, you know, get some, take some spots out on a local radio station, which you could get for two to five to ten bucks a spot. And, you know, do your own shows, and, and you guys can make the big money. And Murray basically said, well, you know, I've got an evil machinery in my uh, my my company. I said he said I'm a part time you know group manager. I'm a full time business owner. He said I don't have time to go out and set these things up and do all the research. And I said, well, I'll do it. And go. he looked at me and said, you would. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, he said we're playing in uh, Russian River next Saturday. He said, why don't you drive out and, and visit with me? We'll talk about it tomorrow. So the following Saturday, I drove to Russian River, just north of San Francisco, uh, a little uh, vacation community, and they were playing a dance at a lodge, the Rio Nido Lodge. And we got together again, and we talked about my idea, and then he said, well, come on down to L.A. So I, I flew down to L.A. and met with him again, and then I started working. I, I was really their advanced guy at that stage, setting up their shows. I did their marketing, and I emceed their shows. And I'd set up the market, you know, where we're going to play and, and do all the market research and rent the hall and, and, you know, set it up, get the sound. You know, get the uh, tie-in with the local radio station, the local newspaper. 
uh, ticket locations, keep in mind there wasn't a ticket master then. Right. So my idea was sell the tickets in record shops and musical instrument stores, and they'll do it for no fee. I mean, they'll, they'll get coverage on the radio, and they'll get, uh, you know, uh, listed on the, on the poster, and they'll get free uh, advertising, and they'll get store traffic, and maybe if the kids come in to get a Beach Boy ticket, they'll, they'll pick up a Beach Boy album, or they'll pick up some guitar strings or some drumsticks or right. whatever. So it worked out for everybody. And, you know, the kids didn't have to pay a convenience fee like you have to pay the ticket master. Uh-huh. And all the money went to the, to the Beach Boys, to the group. Fantastic. This guy, uh, Jim Murphy, wrote this book, and I actually took the time to read it a few years ago. It's called Becoming the Beach yeah. Boys. And he goes into extensive, extensive information about the Height Morgan sessions. How right. how familiar were you with those? Because the only big hit to come out of it actually was, well, Surfer Girl was on there, and but it was the original recording and Surf and Safari before they went right. up to Capitol. Well, Serpent was the only hit that came out of the Height Morgan oh, session. Yes, of course, the uh, first hit, yes. Serpent, back with Lou That was the only hit. And then the label folded, and then that's when Murray started shopping the group, and that's how they ended up at, at Capitol and, and, you know, got signed to Capitol. Uh, I was not with them at those Hyde Morgan uh, Canbeck sessions. That was before my time. That was probably a year before my time, roughly a year. You know, I've been friends with them, a colleague of them, uh, for 59 of their 60 years. This is the 60th anniversary of the Beach Boys this year. Right. And I've been there uh, for 59 of those 60 years. And as you mentioned early on, uh, today is June 20th, which right. is my buddy Brian Wilson's 80th birthday. Yes. And uh, all your listeners out there, uh, if they if they go to brianwilson.com, brianwilson.com, they'll see two very interesting videos that Mike put together. And the first one is... Uh, stars, you know, musical associates. It, it opens with Elton John wishing Brian a happy 80th birthday. It ends with Bob Dylan wishing him an 80th birthday. In between, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, John Fogarty, uh, David Crosby, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other great artists. Bob Jardine, who's with Brian, was one of the original Beach Boys. Uh, a great video. And then he does a second video which are all the, 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 the colleagues and associates, and I'm the final uh, tribute. You know, it's about a 20-second video uh, congratulating Brian on, uh, you know, on his 80th birthday and, and thanking him for uh, letting me be a part of the Beach Boys story and be part of it for uh, 59 of those 60 years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to Brian occasionally. I've introduced him at the Ryman a couple times. I've introduced him. At other venues, whenever they're nearby, you know, I usually go to the show and hang out. And, uh, you know, Al and Blondie Chapman and Brian and uh, Al's wife, uh, Marianne. And we, we have a great time, we, a lot of reminiscing, a lot of war stories, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's always a thrill for me to, and I, it's just an honor for me to introduce Brian anytime I can. I mean, um, he is the Beethoven or Chopin. Um, of the of our generation, it, it, there's no other way of putting it. As a matter of fact, uh, Elton and uh, several of the people that did these videos allude to that. Right. A couple of them say it outright. You know, Don was, and some of these guys, you know, just outright. Brian is a genius. He's the genius of the 
20th century as far as music. He's an innovator. Uh, he, he's been an inspiration. Barry Gibb is on there praising him. Yes. And, and uh, you know, I, I told Debbie we were uh, listening to the to the video, and I said, you know, how 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 ironic is this? We have two of the greatest singers, artists of the 20th and 21st century. Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. They're the oldest brothers. They're the last man standing. That is you true. Know, yeah. Maurice and Robin are gone, yeah. and Dennis and Carl are gone. It, it's just ironic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Barry always always sang the praises of uh, Brian and the boys, and uh, I have to agree with you. Yes, the genius of the 20th century and 21st century, of course. This Jim Murphy uh, book prompted a uh, two-CD set called Becoming the Beach Boys, and uh, for years, those recordings weren't handled very well. They would put them out on these cheapy albums, and they'd be in the cutout bins, and they were terrible. This guy, uh, with the help of this record label, I forget the name, uh, com- com- uh, anyway, Omnivore, I think it is. Anyway, they mis. mis- crazily put together this thing with all the cuts not only the songs but all the takes you know the the retakes the remixes blah 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 and it really is impressive and i wanted to play one of those tracks while we're talking to you it's called barbie and uh you you get that you get that take you get that uh feel of what brian's vocal was when he was such a young man it's just amazing when you listen to this thing about 20 years old roughly right then in 1961 I guess when they Two, recorded, yeah, sixty-two when they recorded the Hype Morgan. Okay, and yeah. as as you know, uh, Fred, this brand new three well, it's a three CD set for me. For for some folks, it's a six vinyl <laughs> collection. Uh, well, this is the first I've heard of it, believe it or not. Really, yeah, I, have to, I know the book. I mean, I was one of the contributors to Jim's book. It was done probably ten years ago. I yeah, think. it was yeah. a soft cover. Uh, you know, you and I have been doing this show not every year, but I think we started about 15 years ago. Yeah. We've done, what, five or six times, and then one time I actually, I did it at the station at, at Case Western uh, in Cleveland. That was a lot of fun. You did? I don't remember that one. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, I used did it to... one time. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, used I to... was up there for an AFIM convention. I was on the board of directors for, uh, for AFIM. Association of Independent Music, and um, I came by late at night and did it at the station. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, it's great to have you back on. Yeah, I used to do these 18-hour Beach Boy marathons, and uh, I'm getting a little too old for that. So I just do a a brief special. But this. Yeah, you're a kid. (laughs) That's good to hear. This uh, collection, it's it's a two-CD set. It's Omnivore Recordings, and they've got pictures of the single... Barbie, which actually came out as Kenny and the Cadets, as you know. And then there was the right. sur- Surfing Single, which was on Candex. And right. uh, when you read the book, you, you cannot believe all the politics of putting out those 45s and how Candex had it. And then this X label came around, and they they grabbed it because they saw some money there. and It was just amazing. But this is a great collection. We're going to play Barbie. And then from the brand-new Capital 60th Anniversary the very best of the Beach Boys, Sounds of, Sounds of Summer Expanded, that just came out uh, last Friday, Fred. We're going to do the brand new mix of Surfing USA. Have you heard this? I have not. It, no. 
Some of the mix, the fans have been talking about it online. Some of the mixes are a little different, and uh, some of them I think they definitely improved them. Some of them I'm like, you could have probably left it alone, and some it's it's just not that different to me. It's about the same. But uh, this particular one I, I was impressed with, Surfing USA. So we'll, let's do those two, and we will continue chatting. All right, Fred? You got it. This is Barbie. Listen to Brian's vocal on this thing. We can't 
There you have it, your brand new 2022 remix of Surfing USA with all the modern technology involved to make these songs sound even better than they ever have before. I was playing that in my car earlier today, and uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely improving on on the as the years go on. It just sounds better and better. They keep coming up with these great releases. We also heard Barbie, like we were talking about from way back, the Height Morgan Sessions in 1962. We have our buddy Fred Vale, former manager and promoter of the of America's band, the Beach Boys, with us on Brian Wilson's birthday. Fred. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. I know Thank you. you. That sounded great, by the way. The way to hear Beach Boy records, if you can, I mean, it's a little bit costly, but, you know, hear it on vinyl. I mean, that's that was the era. That was the era of vinyl. You know, there were no cassettes. There were no CDs. There were no Spotify digital download sites, no iTunes. It was all about vinyl. And the cool thing about vinyl, not only did it make the vocals sound warmer and the drums sound great, but also, you know, what I loved about vinyl is they all came shrink-wrapped, you know. And you would open up the shrink wrap and you'd pull out that record and the smell of vinyl. Yes. <laughs> such, a, such a great thing, you know. You can smell the vinyl. You know, it was really, really cool. But, uh, yeah, we uh, we were doing these shows. Uh, I, I grew up in Sacramento, and I was really lucky. It was the right time, you know, to be there. Uh, there was a kid, uh, he was a little bit older than me, probably 15 years older than me, and his, his parents had a drugstore uh, down south of uh, downtown Sacramento. I lived northeast. He was south, directly south of downtown. And they, he was around 16 years old, and they gave him a little 10-by-10 10 10 space in the drugstore to set up a record department. And he would buy uh, jukebox records, recycled records, and he'd get a few records that were newer. And it was basically a way to keep him uh, occupied and busy during summer so he wouldn't, you know, get, get involved in anything bad or whatever, you know, kind of keep him straight. And, and he, he, he had his little record department in his, in his parents' drugstore. 16th and Broadway, and his name was Russ Solomon, and the name of his parents' drugstore was Tower Drugs, and surely, you know, it, it re-emerged a few years later, and about 20 years later, 15 years later, as Tower Records, yes. and Tower Records, number one, the first store, was about a mile and a half from where I lived. I mean, I could drive my bicycle there, you know, I was a teenager, and uh, I could drive my bike there, and I'd go into the store and there was these big bins with all the latest music, whether it was rock or country or jazz or hip-hop. No, they didn't have hip-hop. Uh, bluegrass, country, classical. Uh, you know, at the time, uh, twist. the twist music was just kind of being phased out, and there was this new music called surfing music. And every label seemed to have a surf band. You know, there were right. the Challengers, the Wisely Ones, the Merced Blue Notes. Um, the Ventures, Dickdale and the Deltones, the Astronauts, the Safaris. Every label seemed to have a, a, a surfing band, but they were all guitar bands for the most part. But these guys, the Beach Boys, did these great vocal harmonies, and this kid, this 20-year-old writer named Brian Wilson, wrote these terrific songs with 
you know, with Mike Love and with Carl and with Dennis and with a few other writers that, you know, have, have lesser uh, name uh, recognition than, than the primary ones. But uh, that's what was, was happening. I'd go into Tower Records, and, and Russ, uh, God bless him, he was the founder of the company. He was the manager. He was the uh, clerk. So he'd wait on you, you know, and they got to know your musical taste. So when, you know, when I came in, he'd say, oh, Fred, there's a, there's a new Lively Ones album. Go check it out in the search section. And, you know, I'd go there and check out the Lively One album and, you know, or whoever. And then uh, so when we started doing the shows, you know, I started putting tickets on sale at Tower. And there was only one store. There was Tower Records, Tower Books. And there was a record store south of town, Southgate Records. Uh, and there was a Jack's House of Music, which was Musical Instruments, which was about a half a mile from Tower. And, and then there was a Civic Theater box office that sold tickets to concerts, rock concerts, easy listening, big band, Harlem Globetrotters, Shrine Circus. You know, they sold these tickets and they took a, a little commission. But, you know, uh, both Jack, Jack Hyde at Jack's House of Music and the folks at Southgate Records and, and, and uh, uh, Russ Solomon sold the tickets for no commission. They they just sold it for, you know, the exposure they would get in the in-store traffic. And after two or three concerts, Russ came to me one day and he said, you know, when we take these tickets, we owe you the money or we owe you the ticket. I mean, we're taking some risk. He said, how about, you know, a little, a little piece, you know, a little piece of the action. And I thought, uh-oh, there go the profits. And I said, well, what did you have in mind, Russ? What do you think? And he said, well, tickets are, you know, between a buck seventy-five and two and a quarter. He said, how about five cents a ticket? <laughs> and I just breathed a sigh of relief, and I said, Russ, you got it. Five cents a ticket. That's great. <laughs> wow. So we lost Russ just a, a couple of years ago, and, um, you know, I, ironically, there's a move to have him inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's way overdue. Sid Bernstein, uh, who did the first concert in a, in a stadium, the Beatles, uh, Shea Stadium. Yes. Uh, Sid's long overdue. Russ is long overdue. You know, Jan and Dean are overdue. Paul Rear and the Raiders yeah. are overdue. You know, Johnny and Dorsey Burnett, the rock and roll trio, are overdue. I mean, there's so many artists that are missing and business people that are missing from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, just like most Hall of Fames. You know, why isn't Pete, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I mean... They're, they now sanction, Major League Baseball sanctions gambling, but yet they keep feet out of the, you know, the Hall of Fame. That's crazy. I've been saying you know, the same, same thing. thing with yeah, when I watch baseball games yeah. and there's all these things about gambling on the games, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> That's why Pete Rose isn't in the Hall. Yeah. Pete Rose should have been in 20 years ago, let's yeah. face it. It's Absolutely. just politics. You know, and, and which country? You know, Johnny Crawford. Uh, not Johnny Crawford. Johnny Horton, I should say. Johnny Horton uh, should be in the Country Music Hall thing. He was the first national artist to win a Grammy for a country and western recording back in 1960. Yeah. The song was the, the Battle of New Orleans. He's missing. Yeah. They just put in uh, this year um, Jerry Lee Lewis, who's already in the Rock Hall of Fame, obviously, in yeah. Cleveland. Uh, they just, he was a great... He had more hits as a country artist than he did as a rock and roll artist. And he, he just got in. So there's there's equally number of people missing from the Country Music Hall of Fame as there are the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's an interesting fact. I didn't know that, that he had more country. All right, we're heading up towards news news here, Fred. We want to get some maybe a couple of stories about uh, the guys when they were still living in Hawthorne, because you, you knew them then, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, visited their home, yeah, was out there. Let's do a couple of those stories, and then we'll get into the uh, sunflower era, and uh, we're going to do right now California Girls, and what else do I have? Uh, Forever from Sunflower. California Girls, by the way, uh, that and Surfer Girl are Brian's two favorite songs. Yes. Um, He always loved hearing California Girls live. He, He loved that song, and and you know, and, and it was a great group song, and, and it, was, it was Brian's favorite live uh, performance song. And of course, Surfer Girl was the first song he wrote. He had actually written Surfer Girl before Surfing, and some of the other earlier songs, Surfing Safari, Surfing USA, etc. So, you're going to play one of Brian's two favorite Beach Boy songs, California Girls. Love it. All right, let's do California Girls from 1965. Fred Vale, our very special guest tonight on Island Time.
That's from the 1970 album Sunflower. Uh, at the time, we're going to get into that with Fred a little bit here. You'll you'll understand better when he tells the story. But at the time, it was lost in all these other great albums from 1970. But as the years have gone on, it has gained stature, and it has now become a classic. And it is a uh, part of was part of a box set last year of uh, the Sunflower Sessions and the Surf's Up Sessions. And we're going to play some uh, track or two from that as well. But that was forever. We had California Girls 1965 from the Beach Boys, number one song. Linda Robb loves it when I play the music from the progressive Beach Boys era in the early 70s. We're going to have a couple examples of that tonight, and here's one of them. A live take on It's About Time from the Sunflower album, which was featured on the box set last year. This last song is from Sunflower and Dennis wrote it.
There you have it, friends. The 2022 remix of Good Vibrations, which is also featured on this brand new 3-CD or 6-LP vinyl set, if you want to go that route, of the very best of the Beach Boys, Sounds of Summer, 80 songs. Ah, great, great, great collection. Before that, we had From Sunflower, Got to Know the Woman, featuring Dennis Wilson on lead vocal, and It's About Time, which Dennis wrote the song for Sunflower, and I've always loved the live take on that. And uh, our co-host, sometimes co-interviewer, Linda Robb out there in Minnesota, she said she loves uh, when the Beach Boys rock out, and uh, she wants me to ask Fred a question. We'll do that, Linda. We'll do that after this quick break. It's a very good question, Linda. Uh, Island Time radio show. We have on the telephone line the owner of the Treasure Isle Recorders studio down in Nashville, Tennessee, Fred Vale. Fred. Hey, I'm back again. Welcome back, man. Yeah. All right. To start, to start this segment off, Fred, uh, I sometimes have a co-host, uh, uh, co-interviewer remotely from Minnesota, Linda Robb, and she loves when I play the progressive era of the Beach Boys, like, you know, 1970 to 73 and we right. we hear stuff that uh, was definitely more rock hard, hard rock edged. And her question to you is: uh, She loves that era, and uh, whose idea was that to give it up? <laughs> <laughs> and she also well, wait a minute before you answer. She also wants to know: yeah. um, Were all the Beach Boys doing sex, drugs, and rock and roll? She wants the inside scoop here. The inside scoop. Okay. <laughs> You've you got to leave me some latitude. I'm working on my memoirs, my autobiography. i gotta, oh. I got to keep a couple of those things oh, inside yeah. so they'll sell a few books down the road. Oh, yeah, of uh, course. I didn't know you were doing By the way, that. you were talking about Sunflower. Uh, an interesting story, and the Beach Boy diehards out there may know. I, I, call, the, I call the loyalists the diehards. Yes, and, uh, and they, a lot of them know more about the Beach Boys than I do. Believe it or not, they they weren't there, but they know through research and through books right. and through articles and through word of mouth and all that. Well, right. it just so happens that this the Sunflower album uh, is is very very well respected. Uh, it's one of my favorite albums, probably my top three. Yeah, and obviously that sounds is still numero uno because. Uh, and I just made this comment uh, to someone. Oh, I did a I did a bio, um, a biography of myself. And, and um, in nineteen, you know, when when Pet Sounds was finished, the studio recordings were done. Uh, the Beach Boys, the group, the Beach Boys, were on the road during much of that. So there were a lot of uh, wrecking crew members that played on it, and etc. And Tony Asher and and Brian, of course, wrote wrote the thing. And Brian, uh, I called Brian, and I was actually with Teenage Fair at the time, uh, it was 66, and, uh, but I still worked out of L.A., and uh, I still saw the guys, uh, you know, uh, you know, in their homes and out on the road. When I, when I could join them, I'd go out on the road with them, et cetera. And, and Brian wanted to talk to me, and I said, well, do you want me to drive up to, you know, your house in the Hollywood Hills? This is before he moved to Bellagio with Marilyn and yeah. the girls. And, and the, uh, I, he said, no, he said, meet me at Capitol um, in the basement. I'm mastering. And I said, okay. 
So I met him. I got there first, as I always did, and he comes in with all these uh, tapes under his arm, all these quarter-inch tapes, and um, he's wearing brown trousers and a white T-shirt, you know, and, you know, this is Brian and, you know, in, 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 in 66. And he said, um, well, he, he noticed that the lights were on in this mastering studio, which was probably about, you know, 10 by 12 feet, give or take, maybe 14 by 14, somewhere in that range. And he noticed that these fluorescent lights, and I could tell it was bugging him, and he asked the engineer to turn off the lights. And, and the engineer looked at him like, what? He said, yeah, I, I don't like the mood. I don't like the feel. He said, turn off the lights. So the engineer gets up, turns off the lights. So the only illumination in the room were the VU meters on the console and the pilot lights, and there was a cutting light over the cutting lathe, on, uh, over the lathe to make sure it was tracking. Okay. And other than that, that was it. So there's no chairs. Uh, I mean, the engineer has a stool, but we don't have chairs. So Brian and I sit down on a linoleum floor in the basement of Capitol Records, and Brian gives him the first uh, quarter inch, and a song comes on called Wouldn't It Be Nice. Wow. And I realized that Brian is mastering a new album, and that album will become known as That Sounds. Now, other than the musicians that played on it, other than the Beach Boys who sang on it, other than the engineers who recorded it, as far as I know, and I've never been challenged on this, I was the first person outside the group in the studio to hear Pet Sounds front to back. The was... first person in the world to hear Pet Sounds front to back. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a memory of mine, but the progressive era that your friend refers to was pretty interesting because unlike Pet Sounds and all the previous albums, you know, the, the uh, Sunflower album was a, was a group effort. It, it wasn't just Brian, you know, front right. and center at that helm. It was the individual boys. As a matter of fact, what's really interesting for all you diehards, the first song on Sunflower is a song called Slip On Through. It was Dennis Wilson. Yes. And Forever is Dennis. And, and Forever, to me, is Dennis's epitaph. You know, it's a singular, single moment, you know, and, and it, and it uh, you know, it, I love hearing it every time I hear it. I love hearing Denny. And also That's for right. you diehards who will realize that the first solo album of the Beach Boys, the first guy to go solo, was not Brian, was not Mike, was not Carl, was not Al. It was Dennis Wilson. That's right. Stepping out of the shadows of his big brother and putting out a, a tremendous album called Pacific Ocean Blue. And, you know, so, I mean, Denny is... You know, people know, you know, what he brought to the group. I mean, you know, he was a Steve McQueen. He was a sex symbol. He should have been on the cover of every team magazine. He never was because they didn't have a publicist to, to do stuff like that. And Capital, you know, didn't didn't do stuff like that. But he should have been on every team magazine, you know, just like Bobby Sherman and just like David Cassidy and just like all the other team idols, you know, before and after would be. But, you know, he, he was... You know, he was the undiscovered beach boy, you know, to me. I mean, he, he was front and center as a creator, and he wrote songs that are, you know, lasting as vocals. You know, he was always the highlight of the concert. He was the one that made the girls scream when, you know, up there on drums behind the line. And, yeah. You know, it, but Sunflower is the undiscovered gem, and it's now listed uh, as one of the top 500 rock and roll albums of all time by Rolling Stone. Obviously, the number two album is called Pet Sounds, 
and the number one album, according to them, has been called Sgt. Pepper. So, you know, the number one and number two albums, Sgt. Pepper, Be- uh, Beatles, and Pet Sounds, Beach Boys. But somewhere in that 500 list uh, is a, a, an album called Sunflower. And, and to me, it's one of the truly great albums of the Beach Boys, truly one of the greats. And I was out promoting that album and the first single, As the Music to Your Day. I was out on the road for seven months in 1970. I was going to record distributors. I was going to radio stations. I was going to, you know, uh, reviewers, concert reviewers, album reviewers, and, and telling the story of Sunflower. And uh, do I have a minute here to do a really quick story? Oh, yeah. Is this the Jay Cook okay. story? The famous Jay the Cook. Cook story. Famous the Jay, Jay Cook, Cook story. story. If you guys, uh, gals, if, if you want to go on YouTube, you can put Fred Dale in, or you can put Fred Dale and the Beach Boys in, and there's, I don't know, there's maybe a half a dozen or a dozen videos of me talking about the group. Some were part of a CD collection called Brian Wilson Songwriter, uh, and some were, and there's a two-parter there. Uh, guys from England came over and interviewed me at my studio in Nashville. And, and then there's some other stories. But the... Jay Cook story. Okay, so I'm out on the road, and back in those days, there were certain stations around the country, including, uh, you know, one right here at Wibbage in Cleveland, as a matter of fact, uh, Marge Bush. And there were stations that were called breakout stations. And if you could lend a record on one of those stations, uh, you would have a chance to uh, gain maybe a bulletin billboard or maybe see the record advance a few numbers. You know, there was Quick Scene Atlanta, there was, you know, Case Jake and uh, you know in in uh, L.A. Uh, you know WLS in Chicago, uh, with SAI in Cincinnati. I mean these were breakout stations, and WFIL in Philadelphia was a breakout station. WFIL Television uh, had been the home of American Bandstand, where you know when Dick Clark was on the air okay. with American Bandstand back in the uh, back in the fifties, sixties. WFIL Radio was a top forty station. And was in the same building, and the guy there, who was the PD, uh, was a guy named Jay Cook. And so I called on Jay Cook. Now you got to remember, I wasn't doing promotion at that time. I was, but that really wasn't my role. I was doing it because uh, the Beach Boys, you know, uh, didn't have their own label at that point. They were, you know, they were uh, a newly signed group to Warner Brothers, uh, new kids on the block at Warner Brothers, and. I was out in the road promoting them as the manager of the Beach Boys, you know, and the head of their brother records label. So when I went into a radio station, often I was able to kind of cut in line, so to speak, with the other promotion people that were out in the lobby waiting to, you know, to promote their singles or their albums. And I, you know, I'd come in and, you know, I had a little bit of a stature being the manager of American's band, although they weren't called America's band in, you know, in 1970. They were just... Oh, yeah. uh, another group. So I go in and talk to Jay, and I'm, you know, talking to him. He's telling me how important Beach Boys are, and how how much he idolizes Brian, and how Brian's a genius. And you know, I've heard those stories before, and so so have many of you. But it's time to go, go for the order. It's time to ask him to play add some music. And I said, Jay, I really need you on this record. I said, if you go on it, you know, you could open up the entire West Co- uh, East Coast. I mean, you know, you could open up New York ports, you could open up Atlanta, you could open up. You know, Pittsburgh, you could open up Boston, I really need you on this record. And he looked at me and he said, Fred, I, I can't play the record. And I said, 
you can't play the record. I said, you just can't doesn't tell me how much the Beach Boys mean to you and how Brian's a genius and how they've been a part of your career going up the ladder in radio. And I said, why can't you play the record? And, and he looked at me and said, Fred, the Beach Boys aren't hip anymore. The Beach Boys aren't hip anymore. And I'll never forget that, Dennis, because here we are 52 years later. 52 years. Yeah. WFIL radio is no longer influencing the team market. They're no, and they're probably all talk or all Spanish or all religion or whatever. Yeah. But they're, you know, they're not influencing the youth market anymore. Jay Cook is deceased. He's gone. But every moment of every day, somewhere in the world, somebody is listening to a Beach Boy record. Or they're hearing a Beach Boy song or soundtrack of a movie. Or they're listening to it as a background of a commercial. You know, or they're going to a Brian Wilson, Cal Jardine, Blondie Chapman concert. Or they're going to see Mike Love and Bruce Johnson as at a Beach Boy concert. They're buying those concert tickets, eating up those records. Capital continues to release Beach Boy product, recycle Beach Boy product, repackage Beach Boy product. And, you know, the Beach Boys are certainly hip. You know, 52 years after Jay told me they weren't hip anymore. Timeless. So that's Timeless. one of my favorite Beach Boy stories. I th- I have a theory uh, of of may why he may have said that uh, Fred I've always thought I've thought about this quite a bit 1970 uh, you know it was Chicago had their debut oh, al- yeah. album oh, and, I know. Uh, Simon yeah. and Garfunkel and uh, Derek and the Domino on and on and on Oh, th- great Mike Bloomfield you yeah. know I mean all those great artists you know Jimi Hendrix Jimmy Hendrix. Joplin Big Brother and the Holding Company I you think- know it was counterculture versus the establishment. And the Beach Boys, even though they hadn't worn white shirts or white pants and striped shirts in several <laughs> years, they were still thought of as that establishment group and the white pants and the striped shirts. That's what, how the people looked at them. And you yeah. know, for many people, I guess they weren't hip. You know, they they passed up several opportunities. You know, I mean, you know, there's certain mistakes the Beach Boys made, and I've I've alluded to that. I think there's a, actually there's a video on YouTube about my. Uh, my thoughts on why the, you know the Beach Boys didn't replace the Beatles and why they lost some of their prominence and uh, prominence in that late '60s, early '70s Catholic culture. But it was a great time because the Beach Boys individually were coming alive. You know, not only Dennis but Bruce and Mike and Al and Carl. You know, and and they were all uh, you know coming out of their shell and and becoming major participants in the development of the band. And like your friend says, it was a progressive period, you know, with the Holland album and the Third South album, and, of course, uh, led off by the, uh, by the Sunflower album. Yes. I, j- I just think it got overshadowed, even though it was great music. And like you say, they were all coming into their own uh, because those other well, albums. There was another reason, too, yeah. and, and I, I've been very, very candid about this. I love... Mo Austin. He's a great record man. I'm honored to have worked with him. I'm honored to have worked with Baskin and Nina Capital. I'm honored to have worked with Al Corey, one of the greatest record promotion marketing guys in the history of music. Uh, but there was a problem making the move from Capital to Water Brothers. Yeah, I, it's one of the major mistakes that the Beach Boys made back in 69-70. And the reason is, at, the, at Capital, they had friends from the top down. I sure. mean, you know, Carl Ingerman, the head of A&R, Al Corey, the head of promotion, Baxter, the, you know, the president, etc. At Warner Brothers, where they left to go to work, they were the new kids on the block. 
but it was more than just not being the hot act on Warner Brothers and all these other acts, including James Taylor, uh, and, you know, and and uh, yeah. Hendrix and stuff are hot. But the problem was Warner Brothers didn't didn't have anything on the line. They did not own the Beach Boy catalog. They did not own all those great singles and albums, right. including Pet Sounds. And without having those that incentive, without having the catalog. They didn't have the incentive to work the uh, Sunflower album, in my opinion. They didn't have the incentive to work it, and they didn't maximize its potential. And it's a shame because it's a great album, and finally it's coming into its own, and people are realizing that it's a great album. Oh, yeah. But at the time, it was not you know, considered a great album. That box set that came out last summer... Uh Fred, I don't know if you've sat down and listened to that yet, but to hear... I haven't, actually. Oh, I'm you, very familiar with it, but yeah, I haven't heard it front to back. you got to do it. Uh, just to hear some of the vocal arrangements, and even on Surf's Up, which I never thought of that album as focusing on the harmony so much, there was some serious vocal arrangements that kind of got buried in the mix on uh, the original release, and, and this box that brings all that out. and uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great album. It's a classic album. It's it's in my top three for sure. You know, I mean, oh, obviously, yeah. that's right up there. I love Summer Day, Summer Nights. I love Today. I mean, there's just some great albums, but Sunflower is right, right up there. And for many fans, true diehard fans, Sunflower is actually their favorite album over that sound, yeah. which is really ironic, but it's the truth. That's saying uh, something. Particularly over in England. The Beach Boys have always been big in the U.K., and I spoke in an event there called Stomp about 20 years ago. And we, we talked about Sunflower and we talked about Dennis and Carl, my two, my two brothers in spirit. And a number of them came up to me and said, Fred, you won't believe it, but Sunflower is my favorite Beach Boy album. I said, you mean even over Pet Sounds? And they said, <laughs> yeah, even over Pet Sounds. And it's interesting because you, you said Jay Cook said that they weren't hip in America. But in England, in 1969, 70, 71, they continued uh, to 68 also, that era. They continued yeah. to oh. always sell out shows out in uh, Britain yeah. and uh, European yeah. countries. Yeah. And yeah. those and, folks. And not only that, but in New Musical Express or uh, Disc and Music Echo, uh, one of the major Beach Boy magazines, they were voted the number one group in the UK, yes over the Beatles. Yes. They were voted number one over the Beatles. So, yeah, they've always been hot in the U.K., and the U.K. fans have been very, very loyal over the years. And I have many friends that are Detroit diehards that live in the U.K., and, and I see them when they come over here, they'll visit me, or when I go over there, I'll visit them. And it's always a joy because their passion for the Beach Boys never waned. You know, even during the darker hours, when the Beach Boys weren't on top of the world, they never gave up on the Beach Boys. Yes. And, and they're, the, the U.K. people love American music because, in their opinion, typically when you talk to the older fans, the, the guys in their, and gals in their late 60s into their 70s, even into their early 80s, when you talk to them, they hold American rock and roll in such reverence. Um, I used to give tours. I was a volunteer tour guide for RCA Studio B in Nashville, which is where Elvis cut about 200 singles and some of his greatest records. I, I was there with you, Fred. They, I was there with you years ago. You remember that? Yeah. And, I mean, they hold 
the Beach Boys and Elvis and the Everly Brothers and Chuck Berry, all these, they hold them in such high esteem. And a lot of them know more about those acts, including the Beach Boys and Elvis, than some Americans do. I mean, they, yeah. they, they hold the American rock and roll in such high esteem because it predated, you know, the UK rock and roll. Yeah, uh, predated the Beach predated the Rolling Stones. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and they, they are so loyal. They never gave up on the Beach Boys. Never. They never gave up. That's not, I can't say that about, you know, some of the American fans and also some of the uh, record labels. I, I, I can't say that about them. Very true. But Very they, true. They, they, yeah. uh, they're not quite as loyal in America. They, they give up on you after a while. Not just the Beach well, Boys, but other you know, it's, it's, <laughs> What have you done for me lately? Yeah, that's, that's, that's about what, it, yeah. That's what it's all about. I think I heard Jackson Brown say one time, suddenly they became what we used to be into or something like that, and they needed to, yeah. to reestablish. I want to play uh, one of Brian, well, it's not one of Brian Wilson's favorite songs. It is Brian Wilson's favorite song. You know what I'm talking about, Be My Baby? From Oh, yeah, the, uh, Phil Spector, yeah. And I'll tell you a story, too. He play, you can testify to this. He Brian loved this song so much he would just play it over and over and listen to it over. Well, and over. He, he would play it not only Dennis, not only would he play it over and over. I was over at Bellagio one day and we were talking about touring, and he puts on. He said, "Fred, I got to, I've got to have my daily fix of be my baby." And he puts the record on right, <laughs> and and he gets done and he puts it on again and he put it on about ten times in a row, <laughs> and each time he. He started it again. He turned the volume up a little bit oh, more. Right. That's you know, funny. We, we were in the family room at Bellagio, and and it was like it was almost deafening. That but is, yeah, that's, it, it's a classic. Be my baby is a true classic. Absolutely, great, great, great record. And as of course Ronnie Spector, we just lost recently. But uh, I'm going to play uh, Brian's live take, and we want to do God Only Knows from Pet Sounds, and we will continue on. Okay, friend. You got it. This is our Beach Boys Surf Music Summer Special on Island Time Tonight. This is Brian's take on Be My Baby. Chance I never let you 
always love you But long as there are stars above you You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you If you should ever leave me Though life would still go on, believe me The world could show nothing to me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you from Pet Sounds, God Only Knows. Paul McCartney, fa- Paul McCartney famously has said that's the uh, greatest love song of all time, and it uh, brings a tear to his eye when he hears it. It's uh, obviously uh, just, what, what can you say? It's a f- fantastic song. Carl Wilson singing lead on it, and uh, just awesome from Pet Sounds. We have Fred Vale on the telephone, my buddy Fred from Tennessee, Nashville. You want a CW story real quick? Carl Wilson story, absolutely, yeah. Um, when Carl passed, it, it was a, a horrible time for my wife and I. In, in a year's time, uh, we lost my father-in-law, my wife's father. We lost my father. We lost my brother. And then two months after that, in February, uh, we lost Carl. So, like, four central pieces of my life yeah. were, were shattered in about a 12-month period, a 13-month period. Uh, so I go to Carl's funeral service. It was held in, in Beverly Hills at a large church on Wilshire Boulevard. And I saw a lot of the friends. I saw B.W. And I you know, I saw uh, Jerry Schilling, who was his manager at the time, and, and I saw all the wives and the kids. And I mean, it, it was a wonderful tribute to Carl, but it was a horrible, you know, to have to say goodbye to him. Of course, yeah. And uh, you know, I, Carl and I were, Carl Dennis and I were like brothers. 
I've often referred to them as my brothers in spirit. The reason was when when I met the guys, you know, on, on that May 24, 1963, Carl was 16 years old, Dennis was 18 years old, I was 19 years old, Al and Brian were 21 years old, and Mike was 23 years old. So we were kids. I mean, we were literally all kids, and yep. we grew up together. And when I went down to L.A. and I was off the road, often I'd stay with them. I mean, in their homes, you know, and it was it was just a, a fabulous, you know, a fabulous, fabulous time. But, you know, with Carl, obviously he began to shine as a vocalist, you know, uh, later in their career, not in the early stages when Mike and, and Brian did, the, you know, most of the, of the major vocals. But Carl would sing, and so would Dennis, and, and so would Al. Like, obviously, Al was... On their, on their second number two record, Help Me Rhonda. But, you know, it, it, Carl really came into his own, you know, later in, you know, in, the, in the life of the Beach Boys. So Carl passes, and he's buried at um, Memorial Gardens in uh, uh, Westwood Village, Westwood Memorial Gardens. Uh, same cemetery that Dean Martin, his father-in-law, is buried in. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is buried there. Uh, Jim Backus is, you know, Mr. Magoo, uh, Gilligan's Island, he's there. Uh, all these great, you know, these great people there. And Carl's is in the middle of the cemetery. It's a very small cemetery. It's probably no more than a couple, two, three acres. And uh, and it's, if you don't know where it is, it's you have to literally go down an alley behind a motion picture theater, and then there's a cemetery mm. at the back of this alley, this driveway, right? Okay. Very, you know, unassuming. And Carl's uh, tombstone is there, and on on the tombstone is you know December uh, you know twenty first nineteen forty six, and then February six nineteen ninety eight, and you know then underneath that it says the voice of an angel. Right. That's what it says on his tombstone. Right now, Murray uh, Audrey, I'm saying Audrey is literally across from Carl in uh, in a uh, other section. Uh, and it says on her tombstone, uh, it says America's original surfer girl. That's hmm. what it says. Hmm. So you got Carl, and then maybe 50, 60, 80 feet away is, is Audrey, right? Hmm. So you, you look at Carl and you, you pay your respects. Well, literally about, oh, I'm thinking maybe 50 or 60 feet west. Of Carl, you know, you're going towards the Pacific Ocean, um, you know, and right on the same row, uh, right down from Carl, there's an unmarked grave. And at least it wasn't marked the last time I was there. They may have changed that, but for years it was unmarked. And in that grave is a guy named Roy Orbison. Really? Okay. So let me sum it up. Within about 60 feet, Two of the greatest singers in rock and roll are resting eternally, almost side by side. Hmm. In 1988, I don't know if you remember, but Roy Orbison opened for a tour for the Beach Boys, and I got to see two of those shows, and uh, I'm so glad I did, because it was like a year later that we lost Roy Orbison. But uh, it was fantastic. He had opened for them uh, when they did a tour of Australia uh, back around 64, I'm thinking. Um, also on that tour with my dear friend Lee Peterson, who I convinced Murray to hire to, to be an opening act for that tour. And, and 
he did some additional dates for them, and he, he was an incredible, incredible singer and my dearest friend for over 40 years, and I actually was honored that his wife asked me to give the eulogy at his uh, memorial service in uh, here in Tennessee. Oh, wow. Great singer, great friend of the Beach Boys, uh, four and a half octave range, perfect pitch. Uh, you know, so many, he left us with so many great songs. Uh, we got time for a story about uh, Spectre and the Beach Boys real quick. Well, Fred, I, de- I decided since it's midnight and we got to take another little quick break here, uh, we're going to keep it going here if you're if you're still okay with that. I'm okay. I got a really cool story, okay. and it involves another Hall of Fame group that we'll talk about. Okay. Uh, you know, so I'm going to tie in the Beach Boys, the other group, and Phil Spector. I'm going to tie it into one story. Okay. We're going to take our little break, and then we will come back with more. Uh, Fred Vale, this is uh, so fun to have you on the show tonight. It's been so many years. And also, we've got another copy of that box set to give away, so we're going to do that. So uh, send me one, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do there, Fred. I, I might be able to swing that for you. <laughs> well, believe it or not, and, and, and you know, I, only this is weird, but it sounds like I'm a cheapskate. But I've never bought a Beach Boy record. <laughs> oh, is there? Okay, well, that <laughs> it's makes been sense. For sixty years, you know, and I said, well, shoot, if they're going to send me one, that's great. It took me 40 years to get my gold record for the Beach Boy Live Concert album, which I emceed and produced. <laughs> so I produced the concert, not the album. Right. But uh, it took me 40 years to get my gold record from Capitol. That would make sense, though. You were the manager. You were the promoter. You shouldn't have to buy their albums. I, I understand that. Okay. All right, Fred, we're going to put you on hold, and we will continue this in Great. just a couple minutes. All right. Looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, Fred and I were talking about when uh, Carl Wilson passed in 1998, and one of the artists that we play on the show pretty often, is Scott Kirby. And Scott, I didn't realize, was such a uh, Carl Wilson Beach Boy fan, but uh, he wrote a great song, a heartfelt song, the morning after he heard the news. And uh, the song is called The Sun Never Came Up. It's from his Walking on Thin Ice album. Check it out. From Scott Kirby on our very special Beach Boy Summer special on Island Time tonight. Heard some bad news on the tube last night We're sitting at the hotel bar I took a deep breath and finished my tequila Went out to look at the stars Dawn seemed to come with a struggle As I walked the six miles to the beach I sat myself down on the old seawall Learn once again what the sea could teach And the sun, it never came up And the serpent never came in An old beach bum on an old beach blanket said I'll never surf again And the girl from California With her life in a shopping cart God only knows to her transistor radio and roll off in the dark. We sat there waiting for the tide to turn. This day the water lay low. The big gray ocean lay flat and still. No warmth of the sun, no heaven flow. Boys with the boards in the pickup truck 
Looked around and said, man, what goes? The beach bum said, boys, there's no surf. All the beaches are closed. And the sun never came up. And the surf, it never came in. An old beach bum on an old beach blanket said, I'll never surf again. California, with her life in a shopping cart. She sang, God only knows to her transistor radio and roll off in the dark. Pickup truck drove off in the rain. The old beach bum packed his old beach blanket, shuffled off to catch the train. And the girl from California, with her life in a shopping cart, sang God only knows to her transistor radio, roll off in the dark. And the sun never came up And the surfing never came in An old beach bomb on an old beach blanket I'll never surf again And the girl from California With her life in a shopping cart She sang God only knows to her transistor radio And roll off in
That is my very favorite Beach Boy song of all time right there. Wouldn't it be nice from Pet Sounds? Absolutely love that song. Uh, just I can't get enough of it. I tell you what. And we also had Girls on the Beach, one of my favorite summertime songs from the boys from the All Summer Long album. And we had The Sun Never Came Up from Scott Kirby. Kind of his reaction to uh, Carl Wilson's passing in the 90s song. And Peter Mayer is doing the background vocals on that one, if you didn't notice that. All right, we're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, more conversation with Fred Vale, former manager and promoter of America's band, the Beach Boys. DK, Dennis King on duty, special edition of the Island Time Radio Show tonight. We are talking Beach Boys and surf music and summertime, and one of our favorite guests of all time, the former manager and promoter of the band, Fred Vale from uh, Treasure Isle Studios down in Nashville. Fred, how are you? I'm doing great. Love it. We're in hour three now, I think. Hour three. Thanks for t- hanging in with us. I tell you what. <laughs> hey, you know me. Uh, not only am I a huge Beach Boy diehard, but I'm, I'm an ex-DJ. So you can take the boy out of radio, but you can never take radio out of the boy. And I've noticed when I get emails from you that's usually late hours. So you must be a night person like me. I am. I yeah, am. Always yeah. have been. I, it's rare that I get to bed before two, or one or two. See, that's the same thing here. Yeah. Must must be something about working in broadcasting or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Fred, uh, we want to hear the Becker story, or do you want to? Uh, do you have another one that you'd like me to, uh, uh, you know, elaborate on? Or, or uh, before I forget that you heard, uh, you just played me that tribute that that uh, Carl Wilson fan wrote or yes. recorded. Yes. Um, I was my wife and I went to Florida a couple of weeks ago and went to Marco Island and while we were down there we visited a dear friend of mine Henry Gross uh, who lives just above Marco in Naples and Henry kind of cuts back and forth between Nashville and Florida they have two residences he and his wife Marion and uh, they're you know they're real good friends well he wrote a song Henry wrote a song about one of Carl's uh, White Samoyans. The song is called Shannon. Right. And uh, it's always fun to hear that song, and it brings back so many memories of visiting with Carl's first wife, Annie Henchy, and uh, in their home on uh, Coldwater Canyon, and two dogs, and uh, Justin and Jonah when they were toddlers, and all that. But uh, that's one of my favorite songs, and it's about one of Carl Wilson's dogs, and it's called Shannon. It was a, a pretty good size hit for Henry. Oh, yeah. And he's a, he's a great guy, and he's a huge Beach Boy Brian Wilson fan and Carl Wilson fan. I mean, he you know he just loves their music and loves them, and they love him, and it's a, it's kind of a mutual admiration society, just like just like McCartney and Brian. You know, he uh, you know they were dear friends, and and you know uh, Paul idolizes Brian, and you know so does Elton John. Elton kicks off this uh, video. Uh, that's up on BrianWilson.com. That I hope you go see. 
Uh, it's about, you know, it's, it's all people saluting Brian on his, on his 80th birthday. It, it opens up with Elton and ends with Bob Dylan. <laughs> a pretty good spectrum of American oh, yeah. rock and English rock music over the last, you know, 50-plus years. Fantastic. That is awesome. So we we got to get this in. You, I know you're going to tell some stories, but we got to get this in before the show's over. You recorded a country album with Brian Wilson helping you with this album. He was producing it back in the day. We're going to, you're, you're yeah. finally coming out with this album 50 years later, and we're going to play a country Well, tonight. hopefully we will. Hopefully we will. There's a long story. Well, I'll make it short, but there's a story behind it. But yeah, uh, we started it in April of 1970. And uh, we can talk about how it came about. Do you, do you need to do a break or a commercial or a news break, or do you want me to go into the story? I, I tell you what, let's tell the story, and I, I will make that the next song, because I have a uh, a copy of, of one of the songs from this album that's finally going to come out now. Yep, we hope it does. Yeah, we um, hope it does. Okay. Yeah, back, back in the day, uh, meaning 1963, 64, when we'd go out on the road, uh, at the time, I had I, I was a huge country music fanatic, you know, big time. Before country went mainstream, when country was barely eight percent of the, you know, the, of the of the market of you know of, of sales, uh, it was you know it was always rock and roll and easy listening that were the big sellers, and then you know jazz and classical would be down the list, and then Christian was hardly a you know a, a genre at the time. It was mostly southern gospel. But, you know, occasionally a song would get big enough on the um, uh, country charts that it would cross over to, to rock, or it would be so big on the rock charts that it would cross over to country. And, you know, such a record was, you know, Johnny Horton's Battle of the New Orleans, and such a record was uh, Battle of the Teenage Queen, Johnny Cash, and Crazy, and I Fall to Pieces, Patsy Cline, and Just Married, and uh, Singing the Blues, Marty Robbins. So these, these were all the the records that were crossing over one way or the other. And there were very, very few country stations in that period. There were probably between 80 and 100 full-time country news stations in the United States in the late 50s, early 60s, okay. versus now where there's over 2,000 country music stations. That wow. gives you an idea of the enormous growth of country music. So in 1958, I'm 14 years old, and my brother and I go down uh, on a weekend uh, to the new Coconut Grove Ballroom, and we we walk up the stairs. Uh, it was above a laundromat and a drugstore, and we walk up the stairs. My parents had to take us because I was 14, my brother was 17, we couldn't drive. So we get to the top of the stairs, we pay a buck fifty, and we walk into this big ballroom with the wood floors, a stage at one end, a concession stand at the other, and we go down to the front. It, there was no fixed seating. It was just a few chairs and sofas, around the perimeter where they could take a break from dancing. But it was a dance hall. That's what you went there for. And so we go down. Uh, here by, you know, I'm with my friend Bob Jones, my brother and I. We go down to the stage. We park ourselves in front of the stage. The curtain opens up, and there's these three guys in red blazers and black slacks and black ties and, and white shirts. And, and uh, the guy in the middle playing an acoustic guitar is Johnny Cash. And the guys to the left and right are Marshall Grant and Pete uh, Luther Perkins called the Tennessee Two. So, you know, that was 58, give or take. And 25 years later, ironically, uh, the man in black, Johnny Cash, is in my studio recording an album with, with Marty Stewart. So I've always been a huge fan of country music. And when I would 
meet the Beach Boys uh, on the road in my folks' wagon, I'd often have the country music station on the radio. So they'd get in and they'd flip it to the Top 40 station, and I'd push it back to the country station just <laughs> to get a rise out of them, just to annoy them a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, they knew that I knew country music. They knew I'd been a country DJ and PD when I was 17, between my junior and senior year in high school. You know, they knew I could sing relatively well. I mean, I'm no Carl Wilson, you know, or Roy Orbison, but I could hold a tune. So, you know, here here it is, 1970, and Brian... Uh, Diane Ravel, Brian's uh, sister-in-law, uh, Marilyn's uh, sister, calls me and says, yes. Brian wants to see you. And so I said, well, do you want me to come out to Bellagio? No, no, we'll meet you down in, in, on Sunset. Uh, we'll get a hotel. He wants to talk to you. He kind of wants to keep it under the covers. So I went and met him and, and Diane, and he said, I want to do a country album on you. And I said, what? And he <laughs> says, yeah, I want to cut a country album on you. And I, I said, well, why? And he said, well, you know, I'd like to get into the studio and try something different. And, you know, you know country and you're a fairly good singer. And, you know, he said, I don't know enough about it to pick the songs. I don't have any songs in mind. But, you know, you've got find some songs and you put together session musicians and we'll, we'll go into Wally Hyder's around the corner from Brother Records and Beach Boys and we'll do a country album. So we went in first week of April 1970 and we cut um, 12 or 14 tracks. And, you know, some were... Uh, old, there were cover songs. Uh, Only the Lonely, Orbison, we did that one, and we did uh, uh, this song called Also the Love of a Girl, which was the ballad B-side of Johnny Horton's The Battle of New Orleans, which won the Grammy for Best Country and Western Performance at the 1960 Grammys. It was a number one song for 1959. A couple of people have told me that Battle of New Orleans by Horton was the most requested song at radio for the entire decade of the 50s. It was a huge wow. song. Wow. And so we do this flip side, a ballad called All to the Love of the Girl. That's one of the songs we do. And we did something called Lucky Billy, which was kind of a Vietnam-era song. We did a song uh, called Black Men in Georgia, written by Freddie Weller. It was a nice country tune. We, we did a, yeah, Always Something There to Remind Me, the famous Burt Bacharach, Al David, Dion Warwick song. We did a country version of that. And now, 52 years later, there's a move to, you know, put it out. People have been talking about it. Beatboy fans have been talking about it. It's on the Internet. You can Google it, you know, Wikipedia, whatever. And uh, a friend of mine, Sam Parker, is uh, putting together a GoFundMe page. I think he just put it out today on Brian's birthday. He's either doing it today or he's doing it tomorrow, uh, you know, Tuesday the 21st. But uh, we're going to try to finish it. Uh, we did the tracks. We did a few vocals. Uh, we still have to do the remaining vocals. We still have to do overdubs. We still have to uh, background vocals. We still have to mix. So there's a lot of things that we have to do. And, you know, it, it, we're going to have a, a, a modest budget, you know, not that much. I think we're trying to go for about 40 grand, something like that. And, um, it, you know, it, it, it's a fun project. It's long overdue. It's kind of been a, a Carl somehow named it Cows in the Pasture. <laughs> I don't know how he came up with that name, but it's kind of stuck. And if you can you can Google Cows in the Pasture and you'll come up with, you know, stories about the album. But, you know, we're looking forward to finishing it 50, uh, uh, you know, 52 years after the fact. <laughs> it may finally see the light of day. You know, it's a little bit too old, uh, too late for me to be a, a, a country uh, a superstar. I'm not going to give uh, 
Paisley or Keith Urban, two of my friends, any any competition. Certainly not Vince Gill, who I've known for years. Not going to be a competition for him. It's going to be more of a historic perspective. But it, it's, it was fun doing it. Some great uh, people played on it. James Burton, who's you know across town in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is on it. Buddy Emmons is on it. He worked with the Everly Brothers and a lot of uh, in the Nashville uh, sessions, plus the wrecking, wrecking crew in L.A. Uh, Keith Allison, an ex-Raider, is on it. Uh, Gib Gilbo, who played bottleneck guitar, uh, is on it. Uh, used to be in the Flying Burrito Brothers. Um, uh, Dennis St. John, who at the time was uh, Neil Diamond's musical director, he plays drums. Um, trying to think, Glenn D. Harden, who was a, a cricket after the Buddy Holly period, he was in the crickets in the early 60s. He became Elvis's arranger and keyboard player and, and did all those great shows at the Hilton International in Vegas with Elvis. Um, so he's on it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Red Wooten, acoustic bass player, is on it. Uh, J.D. Manis, one of the original Buckaroos with Buck Owens, is playing steel mm-hmm. on it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Gordon Terry, a great fiddle player, deceased now. He's on it. Uh, who else is on it? There's a few more. Uh, Keith Allison, who was a Raider, is on it. And oh, and Freddie Weller, who was also a partner in the Raiders, who became a solo artist on Columbia. He's on it. In fact, he contributed a song to it. So, you know, it's going to be fun to finish it, and we'll do some overdubs. We didn't finish the overdubs at that point. And while we were in the studio at Hyder's, uh, there was a, you know, another uh, vocalist of some note uh, next to us in the other studio, uh, and her name was Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. And um, I had to keep Brian's mind off of Linda because he was quite <laughs> smitten with Linda Ronstadt while we were in the studio <laughs> at uh you know, at Wally Hyder, so that's a little inside story. But this was the B-side of the Battle of New Orleans, a song written by the great Johnny Horton, and who's shamelessly missing from the Country Music Hall of Fame here in Nashville, long overdue, probably 20 years overdue for being in that Hall of Fame. And uh, but it, it's, a, it's a ballad. I'm uh, not going to be any competition for Vince or Keith, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a nice song with some great players and great memories, and we hope to finish the whole album and get it out at some point, and, and it will be a lot of fun to see it see the light of day. I hope this makes uh, fruition. I hope this uh, makes it. I was playing this, a little bit of this song for my wife earlier, and she says, wow, that is really good stuff. So let's let's uh, air it on the show here. This song is called All for the Love of a Girl, right, Fred? That's it, yep. It was the B-side of Johnny Horton's The Battle of New Orleans, which, by the way, was the first... Nashville Grammy winner in 1960, uh, Battle of New Orleans. Some famous musicians played on that, including my dear friend, the late Harold Bradley, who played the banjo intro on the Battle of New Orleans. This was the flip side. It was a ballad, uh, and it, it's, it's just a great Johnny Horton song. And real quick, all these great musicians you got, was that like a combination of your and Brian's connections to get all these you know, great names on Yeah, it, well, it was primarily me. Uh, Brian pr- pretty much left it to me to pick the musicians and pick the music. Okay. He did not write any of the songs on the record. Uh, we did only the Lonely, which was one of his personal favorites. Okay, uh, but all the other ones, you know, we I found and ran them by Brian, but I pretty much picked them. And uh, it never got finished. He he kind of cooled off after he would he would get hot for a while and then he'd cool off and he'd get hot for a while and cool off. And and quite honestly, in in retrospect, I've often said that I think what was going on, uh, Sunflower was happening at the same time, 
And Brian was just one of the guys. I mean, you know, all the other Beach Boys were involved in the production and the writing and the vocals on the Sunflower album. It was not a Brian Wilson production. It was a Beach Boy production. And I think Brian kind of missed being at the helm and calling the shots and being in the studio. And I think this was something that, you know, Jimmy takes take his mind off not being a central part of the Sunflower album. So he okay. ended up doing this. But, but he cooled off. Cause I think he realized, Dennis, that, you know, he was just a little bit uh, out of place doing a country record. You know, it, it just, you know, he thought it would be a fun diversion, I guess you'd say. But, you know, he just kind of kind of lost interest and, about 10, 15 years ago, they were cleaning out the vault, and they called me. They said, Fred, we found these uh, two-inch 16-track masters. You got your name on it. Do you want them? I said, sure, I want them. Wow. So they sent them back to me, and I went into Blackbird and did a transfer from 16-track two-inch to Pro Tools about a year ago. And, and now we're finally going to go in and finish them and do background vocals and you know do a few mis- miscellaneous instrumentals and then you know, get them ready to come out. So that's that's the story behind Cows in the Pasture, and that's the story behind uh, All for the Love of a Girl. All right. Well, I can't wait for this to come out. Uh, let's preview this to the world. I've never played a Fred Vale record in my life. This is a Fred Vale record on the show. This is All for the you Love of a Girl. You may very well be the first radio station in the world to play this. Really? Track. All right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's out there. You can find it if you search on on, uh, on Google. I don't think it's on YouTube, but there are tracks of it. I did a radio program, a Facebook Live with Matt and Greg, uh, two guy, two brothers who do oh, yeah. a, a weekly two show. And, um, Beach Boy Talk. We played it, yeah, Beach Boys Live, and we played it on that show, and I think somebody out there in Radio Land taped it and okay. then put it out, so, unbeknownst to us. And it's not as good a quality because it's like second or third generation. Yeah. This is this is first generation, so here you go. Here we go. Fred Vale and Island Time, world debut, all for the love of girl on Island Time tonight. Today, I'm so weary. Today, I am so blue. Sad and broken hearted And it's all because of you Life was so sweet dear Life was a song But now you've gone and left me Tell me where did I go Of a dear little girl All for the love That sets my heart in a world I'm a man who gives his life And the joys of this world It's all 
of a dear little girl Oh, all the love that sets my heart in a world I'm a man who gives his life and the joys of this world
Another one from that progressive Beach Boy era that we were talking about earlier, originally on the Holland album, 1973, and uh, that version you just heard was the in-concert version. Just a terrific take on leaving this town. Blondie Chaplin, in recent years, I've really come to uh, appreciate uh, Blondie's contributions to the band, and uh, of course, he's touring now with Brian Wilson. And we also heard that great country song from Fred Vale, All for the Love of a Girl, Johnny Horton song. Fred is with us again. Fred, that was awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun hearing it on the radio, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, Brian is out with Al Jardine and Blondie now, and yes. he's also famously out with Chicago. They're doing dates. Um, I'm going to see him probably a couple times this summer. I'm not quite sure which yet, but... It's always it's always fun to catch up with them. Uh, I was at the first Chicago Beach Boy tour back in I think seventy seven, if I'm not mistaken. Seventy five, seventy six, yes, around there. That was a fun show. Um, I remember we were together at um, Colorado State University in Port Collins, and there was a guy recording an album uh, a few miles away at Caribou Recording Studio, Jim Virtue's recording studio. And uh, he decided to come down to the football stadium at Colorado State University in Fort Collins and did a walk-on to, to the delight of the crowd. And his name was Sir Elton John. Yeah, so, uh, that was it was kind of a fun a fun treat to meet him and to uh, be a part of that great show with Chicago and the Beach Boys and Elton John as a special guest. Um, we have time for that um, story about Spectre. Yeah, we got a few minutes left, Fred. Go ahead. Okay. Well, back I think it was December of '63. The Beach Boys had had you know three or four hits, and uh, the Christmas album or uh, single uh, uh, "Real Saint Nick" was out. And there was a show at the Cow Palace, uh, sponsored by KYA Radio. Tom Donahue, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way, he's oh, yeah. considered the father of AOR Radio or album radio. Yes. Um, 
he was hosting the show, and it was an all-star cast. Uh, Dee Dee Sharp was on, the Beach Boys, Shannon Dean, Chuck Berry, um, I'm trying to remember, Jose Jimenez, a comedian, went by the astronaut, uh, April Stevens and Nina Tempo, the Ronettes, uh, oh, heavens, who else? It was, you know, uh, uh, Jan and Dean, uh, and, and then there was there was this group called uh, the, the Righteous Brothers, uh, Bill Medley and Bobby Hatfield. Yes. And they were on this little independent label called Moonglow Records. And they had a one hit, semi-hit, I mean, it wasn't number one, but it was a good size hit called Latin Loopy Loop. And obviously they had enormous style. And I was booking them into teen clubs and, uh, you know, different gigs around Northern California and got to know them quite well. And the band, they had a band that was set up. It was at the Cow Palace, a big arena where they had rodeos and car shows and all that sort of stuff. So they had this um, big band, full band, you know, probably 20 pieces. Uh, the lead guitar player was a guy named Sylvester Stewart, who would later reemerge as Sly of the Family Stone. Wow. And then the guy leading the band, was he was decked out in this black tuxedo, and uh, he had a red epiphone that was strapped to his waist. And his name was Phil Spector, and he was the band leader. And it was that show where Spector had an opportunity to see Medley and Hatfield for the first time. And after the show, he called them over and he said, Listen, uh, I don't know what your contract is with this Mingo Records, but when it's up, uh, I want you to give me first shot at, at uh, signing you to my label. I'd love to produce you. Well, and of course that all came about, and out of that union came one of the greatest songs in rock and roll. You've lost that love and feeling. So that was the, the Spectre story. Little side note to that story: also on that show, Dee Dee Sharp, the Mashed Potato Girl, she had a date that night. She was dating this guy from Louisville, Kentucky, and so in the middle of the concert at intermission, uh, Tom Donahue brings him out to to, to Kibitz to talk uh, to fill time uh, before the second half of the show. And his name, at that time, his name was Cassius Clay. Wow. He would later become Muhammad Ali. So wow. that's a, and I met him that night. So that was kind of a cool night in yeah. my life. Yeah. And a good night for the Righteous Brothers, obviously, and, and some of those great artists that were on that show that night. Have you read any of the uh, Beach Boy autobiographies? I mean, there's only uh, Mike's and Brian's at this point, but have you read those? Uh, I haven't read either of them front to back. Uh, the Jim Murphy one you're talking about, uh, and the, and the uh, David Lee, uh, Beach Boys in the California Myth, um, I've contributed to. Uh, Surf's Up, I've contributed to. Uh, there's, there's a great book out of a guy from Australia. Uh, it's a song, uh, it's, a, it's a book that uh, kind of shows the contrast between the Beatles and the Beach Boys, uh, and I wrote uh, uh, the forwards of that book. Okay. Uh, the Benny Remembered, which is a biography of Dennis Wilson, I wrote the forward to that book. Yes, yes. Uh, I've been on two of the TV specials, about the True Hollywood Story, E Entertainment, The Beach Boys, and A&E's biography of Brian Wilson. I'm featured in both of those. So, yeah, I've had a part in a number of the books. Of not, I, I think I'm in Brian and, and Mike's book. I'm, I'm, I haven't read either one of them front to back, to tell you the truth. Um, but um, it's, you know... It, 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 it makes good reading, different perspectives of different people. Yeah. The best books are written by fans of, of either the Beach Boys or Brian. Those are the best books. The Timothy uh, uh, White book, uh, Heroes and Villains, was, in, 
I, he interviewed me, flew to Nashville, interviewed me at the studio. Uh, I asked him if he was going to be fair to the Beach Boys. Because he had, a, at that time, he had a bad reputation as kind of doing a hatchet job on some of the subjects of his books. And he said, oh, no, I love the Beach Boys. I won't do anything. You know, but like that, and well, okay. sure enough, it comes out, and all he wants to talk about is drug sex and rock and roll. So <laughs> here we go of, again. That kind of feed me off. But yeah, uh, there's some great books out there. There's some not so great books. Timothy White um, has had a great book, Nearest Faraway Place. Um, that's a real, he was a he was the editor of Billboard magazine, and he was a huge Brian Wilson uh, Beach Boy fan. So that's a pretty good book. It's written from a whole different perspective. It's from a historical perspective, the Timothy White book. Uh, he's deceased now, unfortunately, but he left a great book on the Beach Boys. Yes. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, the, Jim's book is great. You were talking about it several times in the show tonight. That's a great book. Yeah. Um, I'm to be Boys. a part of that book. So, yeah, there's some great books. I'll, I'll finish mine one day, but it'll be more than just the Beach Boys. It'll be, you know, really my life front to back and all the influences I've had and all the the great experiences I've had working with some of the greatest artists of the 20th and 21st century. And, you know, I started out when I was 12 interviewing Ricky Nelson on the set of The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, believe it or not. Really? And it all went up there. Yeah. Wow. Well, we can't yeah. wait. We can't wait for that book and uh, the album to come out. And, uh, yeah, we're almost out of time, Fred. But, hey, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Always great, Dennis. So Always much fun. fun fun to talk with you and your audience. Next time, we'll set up another three hours and do it again. Do it again, as the boys you would say. You got it. Do it again. That sounds like a good song title. <laughs> I'm going to be at the Brian Wilson Chicago show in Cincinnati, but I think you're you're going to a Tennessee date, so I was hoping maybe we'd see No, it. actually, I think I'm either going to Cincinnati or Indianapolis, so I may see you. Okay. Well, let's keep in touch, and hopefully we can uh, uh, hook up there in uh, Cincy. That'd be awesome. Sounds great. All right, Wonderful. Fred, thank sure. you so much for the, all the time. All right. Always a pleasure. And Take uh, care. talk Bye. soon. All right, Fred Vale, former manager, promoter of America's band, the Beach Boys. We only got time for a couple more. This is our Jim Morris track of the week. It's a cover of an America song, but it's got kind of that Beach Boy feel to it. So I thought it was appropriate tonight. Wind Wave, and then we're going to wrap it up with Jan and Dean. And one more from the boys on our very special show. Man, did that go by quickly. Yes. Thanks so much, uh, Fred. Sometimes when I'm down on my luck feeling dizzy My mind reels back to those days in the city When early in the morning take a trip it's so pretty I could never understand why it wasn't so grand I got a hankering for a wind wave I got it through and through I got a hankering for something homemade It makes me feel brand new Early in the morning when the sun comes up I grab a fishing pole and a sleeping bag roll Head out for the land of the dull but the pretty I won't stay long, but you never know I've got a hankering for a wind wave I got it through and through I've got a hankering for something homemade It makes me feel brand new
and homemade It makes me feel brand new Early in the morning when the sun comes up I grab a fishing pole and a sleeping bag roll Head out for the land of the dull but the pretty I won't stay long, but you never know I got a hankering for a wind wave I got it through and through I've got a hankering for something homemade It makes me feel brand new
Thank you, friends, for joining us tonight for the very special Beach Boys Surf Music Special. Summertime is here. Summer starts tomorrow. It's only appropriate. Brian Wilson's birthday is the day before, June 20th. Happy 8-0 to our, uh, what can you say, the man himself. Brian Wilson brought so much joy to my life and so much joy to everybody else. Happy birthday, Brian. We also had in there Surf City. From Jan and Dean, which was co-written by Brian. It was supposed to be a Beach Boys song, but it ended up being a number one for Jan and Dean. Wind Wave from Jim Morris, our Jim Morris track of the week. And uh, fins up, everybody. Thanks so much. We got another special show next week. It's a 70s hits uh, Island Partridge Family thing. It's going to be crazy. Our annual visit from Johnny Ray Miller in the studio. And then I've got another uh, musician coming in from the Tambourine People. We'll tell you all about that next week. All right. But thanks so much, everybody, for joining us tonight. So much fun.